0: The future of the American church is not going to be determined by what happens inside its walls, but what happens outside its walls. Our way of communicating that is through a movement called City Lights, where we are taking seriously Jesus' words, now you go be the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, neither do people light a candle and hide it under a bowl. So you let your light shine so that other people may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And that's why every single one of you, we want you this week in some way to know that what you are to be about in the world is to be a a luminous person of the light of God in your life and through your life. And one of the ways structure this skeleton of structure of events, services, and prayer. So creating events that are irresistible for people to be a part of creating service opportunities that are are so hitting the core of meaning and what needs to happen in our city to make it a better place, and then creating a vast network of prayer community. And that's the skeleton, that's the structure, but the flesh that really puts the meat on City Lights is the team of people. Because until you tell human stories... Until you tell stories of people who have come into the story of God. That's what really, we are, we are Acts uh, continued, right? We are the book of Acts continued. And until you tell those stories, you're really not putting flesh on your movement. So today I want you to meet some people who are part of the storytelling team. And I'm going to introduce uh, right now to come on stage, Samantha Wacker and Lexi Woodward and Russell Burt are going to come up here. So would you give them a hand Is they're a part of the team making delights move through storytelling. And we're going to pray over them because to have a church and it's a bunch of marbles that bounce into each other and go their separate ways. But, but what the church is to be is you find your other grapes, where when life crushes you, that's where the wine starts flowing, because you're blended together through life's pressures and pains. And what, what really turns church marbles into church grapes is storytelling getting stories out there that we want to do through our app and through many means. And so would you join me right now in praying over Lexi and Samantha and Russell as they're representing these holy journalists who are going to raise up storytelling in our church. It's absolutely critical. So bow your head right now. We're going to pray over this team and their leaders. All of us who, who are followers of Christ have chosen to say we step into your story. Our lives aren't our story anymore. They're enfolded in something so much larger, the adventure of God bringing heaven to earth through Jesus Christ. You said in your word that our first purpose is to be a kingdom of priests. Priests are people who interceded between heaven and earth. That's what we're to be. And the way we're to do that, the Bible says through light, we shed light. We go into places where there's darkness and we bring light. And I pray for people like someone who are part of this and will be a part of this, that they'll understand how critical they are. And we we have their back in praying for them, that they're able to communicate stories. Now, I know where it starts is is their stories, their stories being told. And I pray that you redeem their stories. Their stories, like all of us here, are full of pain and joy. Their stories of failure and satisfaction. Their stories of disappointment and joy. And I pray, first of all, over the redemption of their stories, that they'll lead the way. Thank you, and we give this to you in the name of Christ. up here. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Lexi. Thanks, Samantha. Thanks, Russell. Thank you, guys. If you want to be a part of our movement, the easiest way to do that is to begin, Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We've had people in the last year who've seen what City Lights is doing, and they've contributed to our church because of City Lights, and they don't even attend here, but they've seen the impact. And all you have to do is sit in one of our City Lights monthly meetings uh, with the leaders and struggles but also some of their successes and you just go whoa uh, this thing is in its very infancy stages but it's having a tremendous impact Xenia to Germantown Westchester to Huber Heights it's it's really cool to see this in action we'd love for you to be a part of that and you can do that through push pay you can do that through the box out at the on uh What does it mean to be a Christus? In in other words, reframing the word Christian, which has been emptied of its meaning in the 21st century to I am of the Christ, that's a different deal. That's a different deal than yeah, I was baptized when I was eight days old and I think I'm a Christian, if I check that on a box. To no, my worldview has been formed by Jesus Christ. And then how does that impact us in light of a world that is increasingly saying From the prophet Isaiah, he says, "Woe to those who call evil good and good evil." Who substitute who put darkness for light and light for darkness bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight." Now it's easy to look at that and think, "No, who would ever do that? Who would ever substitute evil for good and good for evil? I'm going to just... But, because there's a whole unpacking of these statements. A culture that protects the right of child pornographers and yet doesn't allow people to pray in public, that's the culture that will do that. It's, I mean, and I know... Pandora's box, I realize that, of democratic principle. But a culture that will, will protect a green snail darter in a river in Tennessee, and you can't build a dam there, but a black child in inner city New York inside his mother's womb or her mother's womb is, is, is much more at danger than that snail darter is. And and I again, unpacking a whole Pandora's box there, what happens to the society? morally because it has no fixed reference point. It has no objective point of reference to say, hey, this is not right. This is right. And I think many of us would say the tension that we walk around with uh, in this morally confused culture of ours is possibly related to this subject matter today. Probably the most pronounced atheist in our era is a guy by the name of Richard Dawkins. Many of you have heard of him, Anthony Hitchens, and people like that. And Dawkins' view of the universe, his worldview as an atheist, is in a universe of blind physical forces and genetic replication. Some people are going to get hurt. Other people are going to get lucky. And you won't find any rhyme or reason to it, nor any justice. The universe we observe has precisely the properties we No purpose, no evil, no good. Nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. DNA neither knows nor cares. DNA just is. And we dance to its music. Now that's a consistent message. Richard Dawkins is being consistent. Interestingly to that, he also does not believe. Listen to this. Richard Dawkins does not believe It is socially beneficial for society to follow Darwinian morality in its establishment of ethics and morals. Why? Because Darwinian reality is ruthless. He says, I have always said that I am a passionate anti-Darwinian when it comes to the way we should organize our lives on morality. We want to avoid basing our society on Darwinian principles. Now, I don't know if you pick up there the conundrum. He's saying that then establishes, what he just did is he established a moral code by saying we shouldn't follow our DNA. That's the culture that you live in. That's the conundrum. How do we get ourselves out of that fix? The the, the thinking behind this, by the way, some of today's Because what I'm going to talk about goes back 150 years to Kant and Rousseau and Nietzsche. The German philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche probably has influenced the way you live as an American as much as any other five people in history in in this century. He has impacted moralistic thinking from an atheistic perspective more than anyone in history. And one of Nietzsche's tenets was there absolutely is no, no, no absolute right and wrong. There is no absolute truth. That was Nietzsche's tenet. Now, again, philosophy 101. To say there is no absolute truth is a statement of absolute truth. Do you see the conundrum? Nietzsche believed, and again, Hitler was a disciple of Friedrich Nietzsche. Nietzsche believed that he had deep contempt for Christianity because it elevated beliefs such as love, morality, and humility, and you could not build a civilization of power based on those beliefs. He predicted that the English-speaking Western world would seek to abandon faith in God, but would attempt to hold on to Christian values. He also correctly predicted that when societies rejected God, Christian morality would eventually disappear because it would be so difficult to motivate people without the accountability to that very standard of action. Are we not seeing that erosion, that, that moral energy that it takes? To live rightly. Dr. Arthur Leff was a professor at Yale Law in 1979. He wrote a very influential article titled, Unspeakable Ethics, Unnatural Law. Now, I don't know what he believed about God, but Leff said he was troubled that if there is no God, then there's no way that one can make any kind of case for human morality, particularly human rights. He said, for example, that it is wrong... For a majority to take advantage of any minority by force, how many of you would agree with that? Raise your hand if you agree. It's wrong. Yeah, that's true. That's an opinion. That's not an argument. To say it's wrong for a majority to take force over a minority—that's that's an opinion. I, I, what's what's your basis for that opinion? And he said this, that's not an argument. You can assert all sorts of things, but what you cannot do is say at one point of view is morally right and others are not. If someone says it is all right to enslave a minority and you say, no, it is wrong, who is to say your view of morality is right and theirs is wrong? If there is no God, Arthur left said, who among us gets to impose their will on everyone else who gets to establish moral law? Richard Dawkins was in an interview with Christian. And here was the interchange. When you make a value judgment, Richard, don't you immediately step yourself outside of this evolutionary process and say that the reason this is good is that it's good? Like there's an objective good? And you don't have any way to stand on that statement, though. Dawkins, my value judgment itself could come from my evolutionary past. Briarly. so therefore it's just as random in a sense as any product of evolution. Dawkins, you could say that. Nothing about it makes it more probable that there is anything supernatural. Briarly, ultimately your belief that rape is wrong is as arbitrary as the fact that we've evolved five fingers rather than six. Dawkins, you could say that, yeah. Now, do you wonder why a culture that is disconnected from moral standard approach point of reference that's objective is struggling with moral dilemmas because we're in a fix. We are following Kant, Rousseau, and Nietzsche to say moral principle. All it needs to do is look inside itself. Philip Yancey, the Christian author, said, I am a Christian not because Jesus' way benefits society, but because I believe it is true. If it is true, it should create the conditions in which human life works. And this is where to be a follower of Christ is to say, Jesus, you are my owner's manual. I don't know if you've ever, some of you say, what's an owner's manual? I got a new car, I've never opened up the glove box. I don't know what an owner's manual is. (laughs) Oh, it needs oil changed? I didn't know that. day when the fact that you ignored your owner's manual is going to cost you it's going to cost you and jesus he rises from the dead and he says now the thing i want you guys to know is all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me now you go and make apprentices in all the world you go and make apprentices Why did he say that? It's because he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the owner's manual. There is a way that humanity can find out what's true and what's not, what's right and what's wrong. And you look at our culture today, and we live in this culture where it it just feels... They're very, very much fleshed out by trying to find a theology that fits them. On one side of the spectrum is the left, the progressive side that says the whole point of America is nobody can tell us what to do. Freedom to do whatever we want. And on the right, you have this this almost worshiping of authority to the point where if our leaders say it, it must be true. And there there is this clashing of really both sides possible but it is an immense clash and the reason is because look at this look at this Jesus said this he said he said you know for those of you who think that my way is initially restrictive he says enter through that narrow gate for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction if you don't follow the owner's manual you're gonna have problems eventually And many enter through it. I mean, it is just so easy to say, just live like you want and you will find yourself. I mean, the whole thing about the the gospel of our era is a song called, let it go, let it go, let it go, let it go. Do what you want, be who you are, cast off all restraints. Anybody, you're going to have that song in your head the rest of the day right now. Let it go. And But small is the gate. Yes, it seems to follow Christ that there are inhibitions that will happen and narrow the road that leads to life and only if you find it. That's not talking at all about heaven. It's talking about life right now. That, that the way to life is to say, I choose to be a Christus. My worldview, how I live, is through him. Now, now look at this, especially you students you're living in a culture that says form your morality and then come to Jesus and fit him. I am, I was born this way, I am this way, and now fit Jesus into that. When what he says is you find me, if you lose your life in me, you will find your life, he said. Um, Eugene Rivers is a pastor in Brooklyn, New York, and he says, I love what he says, he goes, if you want to help unprivileged youth, unprivileged youth, he said, we have two options. It's either barbed wire and more black juvenile super predators or civil society and stronger black churches. It's that simple. Here's a person speaking from incredible moral authority being right in the middle of the civil wars saying that the answer is Christ. The answer is Christ. And without Christ, we will go into a sliding scale of morality. Jürgen Habermas is a German philosopher, and he says, democracy requires of its citizens qualities it cannot provide. Democracy can't produce the inner morality that it takes for a democracy to operate. Ben Stein said famously a while back that if you don't have faith in America, you can't hire enough police officers to regulate America. Now, so here's like today is pretty thick, right? What are you? Or my uh, gallon of milk and and such a few weeks ago. I just want you to, for all you to say, when somebody asks you this week, what was the sermon about? Just tell them it was about a clock and a whistle. Okay, this is all you have to remember, but you got to remember this. There's an old factory store owner who every day when he was walking to his factory, he would set his watch by the clock that was in the window of the jewelry store. And then he would blow the noon whistle at the factory by looking at his watch. Well, one day someone told him, your watch is off. The noon whistle blew late. So on his way back home that, that evening, he stopped by the jewelry store owner and he said, hey, listen, your clock is off. And the jewelry store owner said, no, that can't be. I set my, my clock by the noon whistle at the factory. <laughs> when you don't have an ejection, go up. Or does it slide down? Uh, You see, you you gotta understand this. When we go talking about redefining, the overwhelming messaging of the Bible is this. Humanity is in rebellion against God. We constantly wanna tell God, you're not the boss of me. You're not the boss of me. You're not the boss. I mean, this is humanity's story. And when that happens... The time telling is way off. I was interested in a story that Dennis Prager, the conservative commentator, talks about. And I don't want to tell this by adding my own story to it, okay? Dennis Prager tells about participating in a debate with the atheist philosopher Jonathan Glover. And Glover was speaking about all the horrors that are there at the feet of religion all down through the years. So many bad things. And Prager then asked the question, well, if you, Professor Glover, were stranded at midnight in a desolate Los Angeles street and if, as you stepped out of your car with fear and trembling, you were suddenly to hear the weight of pounding footsteps behind you and you saw 10, ten burly young men who had just stepped out of a dwelling coming towards you, would it or would it not make a difference to you that, to know that they were coming from a Bible study? And Glover conceded that would make a difference. It would make a difference. Because your, impact, your worldview impacts how you see people. Now, here's my story that I would add to that. Christism and atheism, reframing how the word Christian is used, is here's my story that I would add to that. And you may not like this. You're a young black man in the 60s in Birmingham, Alabama. And you're walking through downtown Birmingham at night and you see 10 burly white young white men coming out of a building, and you learned that they were at a Bible study that mixed their Nazi white supremacy ideologies with the Bible, would that affect how you feel? You see, it's not so simple to say that America has to be Christian. America! America needs a revolution of the soul. Where we stop doing this, we stop fitting our theology into our predetermined political ideologies and say, let's look for the Bible proof text that allows us to be white supremacists. Uh, The interesting story on this, Gunther Louis, uh, he's, he's now, he's like a, He's like 100 years old now, but he was a distinguished professor and writer at, at multiple universities, including the University of Massachusetts. In the early 70s, he set out to write a book, Why America Does Not Need Religion. He was atheist, human, secular humanist, and so he saw many of his conservative colleagues ta- taking the position that religion is foundational to morality and social stability and he intended to prove them wrong. In his own words... He intended to make a defense of secular humanism and ethical relativism. In other words, he was just following Kant, Rousseau, and Nietzsche. Man doesn't have to... America doesn't have to look outside itself for morality. All it has to do is look inside itself. And he wanted to prove that they were damned wrong. After extensive research, the sheer weight of the evidence caused Louis to change his mind... Instead, with academic integrity, he ended up writing a book, Why America Needs Religion. Arguing that religion, particularly Christianity, every social pathology, crime, drug abuse, teenage pregnancy, fatherless homes, and family breakdown. And for me personally, fatherless families. Number one problem. He clearly recognized the positive influence Christianity makes on people's attitudes and intentions and how clearly it instills responsibility, moral integrity, compassion, and generosity. And he, and he wrote these words, contrary to the expectation of Kant, Rousseau, and, and Nietzsche, the Enlightenment, freeing individuals from the shackles of traditional religion does not result in their moral uplift. To the contrary, the evidence now shows clearly that no society has yet been successful in teaching morality without religion. Now, I disagree with him. There's something better than religion. Religion is scaffolding for how to build a society. It's not the house that makes it a functioning, ennobling society. And the answer and the reason is why our mission is to connect people to Christ not religion. Religion is a great every child needs to learn religious principles. Number five, moral laws and we need grace and forgiveness. We we have to, as children, we have to grow up in religion. But what America has done, look at these words. This is so true. This is the United States of America right here. Has a form of godliness but denies its power. And this is why young men can be in a Bible study learning how to be racist. (laughs) There's this form of religion that when it gets distorted, it actually does so much damage because it has a veneer of self-righteousness over its actions. It has a stamp of religiosity to it. Instead, I love what N.T. Wright says in, in his book that is After Conversion, Why Christian Character Matters. The preeminent theologian of our day, N.T. Wright, says this. He says, in America, you have the left, which is all about individual rights, and you have the right, which is all about uh, following, just follow the traditional things. And he said, there are elements to those that are right, that when you find Christ, you'll find yourself. Like when you come to Christ, you will discover a liberating path was said that now with God's help, I shall discover myself. I shall find myself. I shall become myself. Soren Kierkegaard said that. With God's help, with Christ, I shall find myself. But then with the right that, that, no, we don't become legalistic and narrow and brutal and cruel, but when we have Christ, we take those structures and there is what he calls the living out of faith, hope, and love. Because what happens when we have Christ is it is neither an inner liberation, submission to duty, but doesn't touch the human heart. What happens with Christ is is you obey, but not because you have to, but because what you want to. If anyone loves me, she will, he will obey my teachings. I would guess that 90 some percent of you are here today in church, not because you just had to, you had to clock in. Because it's something you want to do. You want to worship God. You want to learn about God. And and that when Jesus comes into a soul, that's what he does. He doesn't just get you to be a moral person in a three-piece suit on Sunday. That creates self-righteousness. He changes you. He changes you from the inside out. My number one goal in life, bar none, there's no second place, is I want to be faithful to Sherry. That's my number one goal. My number two is to be faithful to his church. If I do those two, everything else, gravy. I mean, like whipped cream with the cherry on top, but the banana split is Sherry. Duty? It's out of love. I couldn't imagine doing anything to hurt Sherry or to hurt the reputation of Christ's church. And when you come to Christ, look at these words. The question, what is the right thing to do, is really the question, what are we as Christ followers here for in the first place? The question isn't, I was born this way, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do this, and oh, I'm a Christian. The first question to ask is, I'm a follower of the Christ. How then shall I live? Not according to some extreme political ideology and then fit that into my faith, but my faith is what determines that worldview first. People ask, is Jesus right or is he left? Jesus was above. <laughs> That's what he was. And so what Paul's answer to this, this Corinthian culture that was just morally without any absolutes, okay? I'll just put it that way. I mean, worship included prostitutes, all right? It just, I mean, it was just crazy. And he says this, he says, faith, hope, and love are what are going to change humanity. And he's, oh, let me tell you what love is. Love never gives up which Darwinian philosophy is totally contrary to that. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut, doesn't have a swelled head, doesn't force itself on others, isn't always me first, doesn't fly off the handle, doesn't keep score of the sins of others, doesn't revel when others grovel, takes pleasure in the flowering of truth, puts up with anything, trusts God, always looks for the best, never looks back, keeps going to the end. How many of those are duties and how much, many of those to be really lived out are changes of the soul? They see right through that, right? They see right through that. Um, You don't get any credit for trying to be patient. You really don't. You get credit for, Jesus has calmed my ego. My, My agenda is not the most important thing in our family now. I can sit here and be totally present. I can sit here and be totally present. I don't get any credit for being patient. Christ has changed that in me. And like my daughter... Postage. She got a number of months back. Me just being at a family dinner and sitting there, and she made a big deal of it. And I thought, this is really sad that your daughter has to to say to the whole world, "My dad is truly a patient person now. (laughs) Like he's not faking it anymore." Uh, the other way, here's, here's the other way. So if you're, if you're hearing this today going, oh God, I need to work to You need to live not in religion, but in a relationship in which you live and move and have your being in him 24 seven, 168 hours a week. And this is the way Paul put it. He said, he said, Religion, is, Galatians was written to a bunch of religious people. It's obvious what kind of life develops out trying to get your own way all the time. Repetitive, loveless, cheap sex, a stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage, frenzied, enjoyless grabs for happiness, trinket gods, magic show religion, paranoid loneliness, cutthroat competition. That's in every church you've ever been to, okay? All-consuming, yet never satisfied once, a brutal temper, impotence to love or be loved, divided homes, divided lives, small-minded, lopsided pursuits, the vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival, uncontrolled, uncontrollable addictions, ugly parodies of community, I could go on. Now again, I just can't tell you enough how you will find those in every religious place. But what you'll find in people who walk in the Spirit, this is the famous fruit of the Spirit passage. You won't find plastic apples, bananas, and oranges stapled to the outside of people. What you'll find, he says. He brings gifts into our lives, much the same way that fruit appears in an orchard. Things like affection for others, exuberance about life, serenity, We develop a willingness to stick with things, a sense of compassion in the heart, a conviction that a basic holiness permeates things and people. We find ourselves involved in loyal commitments, not needing to force our way in life, able to marshal and direct our energies wisely. Just by chance. How many of you would rather be that authentically than be a moral person? I bet a lot of you would. I bet a lot of you would. Not because of duty, because of love. And what the next verse says on that, he says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-doubt. You know what he says after that? Against such things there is no law that measures up. Like, you don't need to tell that person to love his wife till they death do them part. You don't need to tell them to be faithful. You don't need to tell them that. There's no external law that would ever do what the love of Christ has done in his heart. grieve when I see Christian couples who are so bitter and I want to say oh man it's so complicated I know but being connected to Christ we're not playing around religion won't help a marriage really it'll help you fake it for a while it'll help you endure for a while But only Christ changes the soul and turns people. And I think this is the hope of America. And in the words of my friend Forrest Gump, that's all I have to say about that. Let's pray. (laughs) Yeah, let's pray. Father, I, I, uh, I know all we can do is be light this week. To be light with luminous fruit. Because why? We are connected to the living Christ. We talk to you. We allow you to to. Speak, so to speak, into us through your word, through nature, through people, through life. And we live our lives out of faith, hope, and love. In your name we pray, and may we be that. And everyone said, amen. We'll see you next week for contradictions.